from the completely composted studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another half-baked episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. Why does a bucket of kitchen waste smell bad? How can you use up a package of old organic fertilizer? And why not just fill your raised beds with 100% compost? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll reveal the answers to those questions and consolidate your compost confidence. Otherwise, it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy shredding leaves. So we will take that heap and help Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ridiculously robust ramifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you making bodacious bundles of black gold right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at the studios of WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, those fall leaves are doing what they're named for. They're falling, and they're exactly what you need to make great compost. We'll answer three listeners' questions. Count them, three. Wait a minute. Um, when we get to the question of the week. In the meantime, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Matt, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you doing, Matt? Uh, pretty good, thank you. How about you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Matt doing good? I'm in Indianapolis. Indianapolis, Indiana. Very good. Right. What can we do for Matt in the true heartland? Great, thanks. I've recently uh, moved to a new house and been listening to your show for a little bit. And this new house, I've got several trees with that mulch really piled up around them, like you talked about. Yeah. And so as I started to rake that out and kind of look at it, there was kind of a good layer of mulch, and then under that, some landscape fabric. And then oh, under man. that, some nice, like a big kind of tangled mat of these pretty small roots. And so I'm wondering, as I'm trying to kind of correct that, what should I do? Okay, so there's a couple of things here. Yes, um, hopefully they mulch those trees to sell the house, if you know what I mean. And it's not. Well, yeah, no, I, I think it. It's long the term. Only, it was only there for like four or five years. I don't know, but the, yeah, there was. There's kind of a, there was some of the mulch had broken down on top of the landscape fabric, and mm -hmm. the roots were kind of below the fabric, above the fabric, kind of yeah. all tangled together. The so, fact they're pretty big trees. They're, good, good, good. The fact yep. that the roots are above the fabric means the tree is being girdled, however. Yeah. Um, yep. So we, we even have a situation where maybe they were planted inside their bags when they were bald and burlapped. So. Mm. But you say they're pretty big trees. Yeah, they are. Um, the smaller ones are probably about two, two and a half feet across, and then there's one that's like four or five feet across. Okay, the so yeah, they're pretty large. Okay, yeah. so the first These thing you do is gently pull away all the mulch you can. Okay. And then get like a carpet knife, a box cutter, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and with a box cutter, be really careful. Uh, yeah. 
try to get away as much of that um, weed fabric as you can. Okay. And then take a good look at where the tree is. I know you see some above ground roots, but we're not talking about the root flare, are we? We're talking about prisoners trying to escape. Yeah, what I see is more of those, those smaller ones that have grown over. But, and then there's kind of this cone-shaped mound kind of under the mulch that I assume the, you know, the root flare or whatever, that's kind of hidden in there. But it's, I've pulled away the mulch from one of them, Good. and I, I thought I would check in to see. Yeah. And know, because I, the, when I pulled out the fabric, kind of the roots, some of that, the little roots were tangled in with it, and I didn't know if I was, you know, should leave those, those roots alone. Or, yes, you know, the, the, those are the feeder roots. Those are the yeah. youngest of the roots of the tree. Underground, they're incredibly valuable. They pull up more than their share of water and nutrients. But above mm. ground, they're pretty worthless. Okay. So don't ravage them or anything, but don't worry if you pull a few okay. hairs away. Okay. Um, once you get down, um, see if you can expose the root flare easily. The, mm -hmm. um, the big arborist company who are trying to correct this terrible, terrible uh, situation of volcano mulching, they right. have a, an amazing machine called an air spade, okay. which looks, it's so Flash Gordon, it's so futuristic, it, it looks like something, somebody would be aiming at Captain America in a Marvel movie. Um, and it shoots these incredible blasts of air down there. So if you wanted to go to town and you have enough trees yeah. and you're concerned about them, you might be able to rent one for the day okay. or you might be able to hire an arborist to come out and just expose the root flare. But that's your goal. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I think even the highest powered leaf blower probably wouldn't do that. Um, right. This is a leaf blower on steroids. This is a leaf blower that was bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> and, yeah. and they're really fun to see, but they're really good for the trees. However, okay. getting the mulch out of the wear, uh, pulling away that terrible landscape fabric, mm -hmm. I, think, I think you're already at 80%. Okay. Um, slowly over time, just continue to excavate um, around yeah. the base of the trees and start a new mulch of compost beginning six inches away from the trunk. And okay. if you can, if it works on your landscape, going out as far as the furthest branch above. Okay. See, because mulch is worthless piled up against a tree. All right. it can do is rot the bark. Mulch that's one or two inches deep, but that goes out all the way to the feeder roots, that's amazing. That keeps the tree cool. Mm -hmm. In the summertime, keeps it warm in the wintertime, really wets, allows rain through to the most um, beneficial part of the tree. So it's not piled up. You don't want blankies on your trees, but the further out you can go, the healthier your yeah. trees are going to be. Yeah, and then if I can get some, like, mulch, you know, from an arborist or something versus the, the home store, that's the way to go. Well, not you know, see, people misunderstand the word mulch. The word mulch was corrupted in the 90s when a landfill stopped accepting green waste. Mm. Mulch only means something you put on the surface of the soil to prevent weeds and retain moisture. Mulch has nothing to do with wood chips, triple premium, uh, dyed, shredded right, pallets right. from China. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, if you must use wood mulch as opposed to yard waste compost, okay. which is the best, yeah. um, then make sure it is, quote, arborist mulch, which is just fresh chip mulch from where they took a tree down or trimmed the branches. Okay. No colors, nothing in a bag from Home Despot or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, but even better is just like waste leaves and yard stuff. If I can do that. You can just do leaves themselves as long as they're shredded. Yep. Get, uh, if you have a leaf blower, does it have a reverse setting? If not, uh, if okay. not, buy an electric leaf blower. They're really inexpensive. They're like sixty yeah. bucks, and okay. you know that way you can suck up your leaves while you're standing. The leaves mm -hmm. go through a metal impeller, then they go into a collection bag, um, and then shredded leaves make an excellent mulch. But not whole leaves. They mat down and don't let rain through. All right, Matt? Yep. Good luck, okay. sir. All right, thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. 833-727-9588. Barbara, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, hello. Hello, Barbara. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And where is Barbara doing well? Uh, in Boone, North Carolina. I know where that is. My good friend Pat Stone, who edits Green Prince magazine, lives in Boone. I look forward to meeting them. Yes, he calls his little magazine the Weeders Digest. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right, so what can we do? You you live in a little bit of heaven. You're right near the uh, rhododendron forests and um, mm -hmm. just beautiful raging white waters in the spring. You're in a beautiful natural area. Well, I believe so. It's a little hot and crunchy here this year. <laughs> hot and but, crunchy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's how you want your French fries, right? Well, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, what I have going on, the question I have for you today is I have or had three apple trees. Um, and about, they're about 40 years old. Mm. And I noticed last year they were looking sort of weary. And I just attributed that to age. This year, I, I swear to goodness, they, they died overnight. And um, I'm noticing a horizontal line of holes, very well regimented holes, up and all up and down from the trunk to the the highest branch that I can see. And right. I'm wondering what that is. You never saw the bird. A, a, no, a bird. Yellow-bellied sapsucker, um, which is both a fabulous name for a bird but the name for a woodpecker, medium to large size, they're not tiny, and uh, they do suck sap, and they do have yellow bellies, and they're notorious for ringing a tree, so to speak. They will make a straight line of these little holes uh, all, all around the center of a tree. And, huh. and they'll go up and down as well. But the distinctive characteristic is there's a ring of holes. And that, uh, that yes. appears to be what you have, right? Yes, that's what I'm looking at, right? Be um, because I have not really noticed the birds, but... Well, you should, because they are day-flying woodpeckers, after all, and they are mm. um, pretty amazing-looking creatures. Are your, are your apples in plain sight, or do you have to walk to get to them? Oh, they're in plain sight. I'm looking at them mm. right now. That's unusual. What, what's left? I don't know of any borers, so to speak, insects that bore into the bark of apple trees. 
Apples are prone to a lot of other issues, a lot of diseases, a lot of pests that affect the fruit. But I'm not aware of any boring insects. Um, I am very well aware of the, of the symptoms of the yellow-bellied sapsucker, and but I'm 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 not used to hearing them being fatal. Although if there's enough holes in the trees, that'll kill it. So are you saying the trees did not um, green up this uh, spring? They did. Uh, that was what's unusual. They did and mm-hmm. leafing, and then um, again, just I could. I could just watch this within maybe a month or two. Everything just died. Uh, now, you say they, they did leaf out. What, did they flower? Um, I, 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 some, not a whole lot of flowering. Usually I can, I, I, I can see the flowers, but not much flowering. That's a bad all. sign. And I do. That's Pickle. a bad sign. I'd, I'd like you to double check my diagnosis with your local county uh, extension agent, just take a picture of the rings. Um, from what you're describing, uh, I'm pretty sure it's that bird. And perhaps the trees were just getting older and stressed. There's really nothing you can do. It doesn't help to fill in the holes. The tree can do that better on its own. Your only hope against future damage would be to erect some kind of fencing around the tree that would be about a foot out um, hmm. so that the bird couldn't just reach in through the fencing and you'd have to do something at the top too so and all three trees were attacked right yes As a matter of fact and my neighbors and the neighbor up the street and the neighbor across the road so uh, whatever's happening is is not just specific to my Hmm. backyard and you didn't see any birds i want you to check with I your didn't. i want you to check with your local extension service there could be a pest out there that i'm not familiar with um but uh what do you propose doing now oh they have to come down okay uh, they, they are that dead and if i don't take them down they'll be a hazard yeah how tall are they uh well, you would ask me that i'd say 40 Forty-something feet. Yeah. <laughs> so there was there. There was really no way to care for them because you couldn't get to the tops anymore. No, no, okay. no. Okay. No. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, uh, do you have a way to take them down, or are you uh, chainsaw massacre Molly here? You ready to go out and do uh, it? <laughs> I gave that up. Yes, I have an arborist who can take them down. Okay. Good. Let me explain to you that after applewood dries, it is highly sought after. Um, do you have any um, chefs in town who specialize in like wood burning pizza or or wood burning grilling or anything like that? I believe there are some, and I'll find some. Yes, for sure. Because uh, after that, I am going to have a lot. After that wood is seasoned, it is sought after for wood grilling. It imparts a delicious apple-like scent to the grilled food, smokers too, uh, people mm-hmm. who smoke meats and fruits and things like that. They're always looking for seasoned apple wood. So uh, maybe you can get something back on that. Are you, do you intend to replant? Uh, not, uh, right now I'm just thinking about getting them down. So I'm not, uh, I haven't jumped that far. The other question I had, do these, say if they are the sapsuckers, do they attack other trees 
as well. I mean, since I'm not quite sure what is the culprit here, yeah. but um, th- th- could I be seeing some of the same damage on oaks, tulip poplars, maples? Well, they would attack trees that, uh, maples, yes, because they are very sappy. That's how we get maple syrup. Mm-hmm. And, of course, mm-hmm. the apple tree, because the sap is very flavorful. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something easy enough for you to look up, but they are not specific to apple trees. No, I see them, I saw them on my peach trees, which, of course, would also have very um, sweet sap. But um, talk to your local county extension agent, and if there's a pest roaming your area that I don't know about, please call us back, and um, we'll see what we can do about it. I certainly will. Thank you so much. I appreciate talking to you. All right. My two... Uh, I appreciate it, too. All right. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will explain how to transform your fall leaves into magnificent mulch and carbonaceous compost at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, October 23rd for the Bristol Township Environmental Advisory Council and the Greenbelt Overhaul Alliance of Levittown. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to answer your compost questions and take more of your questioning phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, questions about compost. Why does kitchen waste in a bucket smell so bad? Why don't we just use 100% compost in our raised beds? And I forget what the third one was, but there's three of them. And you'll hear all about it after lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588, just like the keys on a piano, 88. Wendy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. I'm very glad to talk to you. I'm very glad to talk to you, Wendy. Where are you? I'm in Louisville, Colorado, near Boulder. Oh, okay. So we've lived in Colorado a decade now, and I've seen numerous shops around that sell hydroponics and grow lights mm-hmm. and things that are way uh, higher end than the little LED uh, units I mm-hmm. use to start seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so pe- people are growing full-size cannabis plants um, even now that it's legal, they're still doing it in their basements because it has to be done under lock and key. So if all of my neighbors are growing these large plants, um, cannabis plants in their basements, can I grow a tomato as a house plant in any fashion? Because 
that's the produce I'm willing to invest my time and money into. Uh, the thing about being here in Colorado, where where I am in, in the Boulder area, we have a very short growing season, mm-hmm. and um, not just a short growing season, but half of that season is a very dry, mm-hmm. intense sun period that tomatoes just don't like. And I can't even grow large ones because of uh, the zone we're in. So I couldn't put my tomato plants out this year until mid-June because we had such a cold right. cold spring. So and I people... see these things for sale on Craigslist and yeah. tents and $200 lights. And uh-huh. I just, I've wondered for years and I finally thought to ask, um, what could I do to grow okay. my preferred plants indoors? Okay. So um, one thing, I'm not sure it is legal, even in Colorado, which is otherwise a wide open mm-hmm. state. I'm not sure it's legal yeah. for humans to grow their own plants. That's still a violation of federal law. That's the same law, unfortunately. They've not changed it as True. the manufacturer yeah. so of heroin. it's still illegal. Yeah. So, um, and I think the, the important law. thing, the important thing to remember here is mm-hmm. they're growing a very high value crop. You are not going to get okay. $300 an ounce for your tomatoes. Right. Right. So it would be very counterintuitive. Now, over the years, I've experimented with various things. I have found the easiest big plants, real vegetable plants to grow indoors are pepper plants. Um, Because they tend to be more compact. They tend to be more upright. They don't need the support of tomatoes. Um, mm-hmm. And you can perennialize them. You can put them outside on days where it's um, nice and sunny and warm. And then you can bring them inside. And really, all you need for production is to have them very close to the tubes of a four-foot-long shop light that has okay. four tubes in it. So this is one like okay. you'd see in a regular ceiling. It's not the little two-foot yeah. one over a guy's uh, little two-tube one over a guy's hobby bench. It's four tubes, right. each four feet long, and no, no special tubes, just fluorescent lights, and keep the tops of the plants almost touching. They'll flower and fruit for you indoors. And I always, okay. I always recommend that you grow these in containers that have a mixture of potting soil and compost. Um, when okay. people would ask me about hydroponics, I would say there's nothing about hydroponics that a little uh, little dirt wouldn't cure. It's <laughs> it's totally unnatural. It relies on chemicals. It's very um, electric intensive, power intensive, as are those professional yeah. grow lights. I mean, we're talking now, you know, uh, a regular shop light might be 12, 20 watts of power. Um, these giant mm-hmm. suckers, they're 400, 1,000 watts. You, you know, hard to get any kind of return on investment in that with a brandy wine. And tomatoes, okay. and, and t- tomatoes are a little bulky at growing indoors. Now, you eat indoor-grown tomatoes from Holland. They have acres and acres of glass houses that concentrate the sun, mm-hmm. and then they have additional lights, but they have it on a scale that it can make sense. For you, what I'm going to suggest, if you want indoor produce all year long, you can uh, can Mm -hmm. certainly grow your herbs under the kind of um, 
output I'm, I'm thinking of, the, the big yeah. four-tube fluorescent shop light. You can grow peppers, mm -hmm. although I would urge you to lean towards the smaller peppers, not California Wonder. It just takes too long to, um, to color up. But there's little things called yeah. jingle bells and baby bells that are delicious, and they keep fruiting like mad. Of course, the, uh, oh, okay. the various hot peppers. For your tomatoes, if you are willing mm -hmm. to set up yet a different system, you know, the same system, but on a different bench, different table, mm -hmm. I would start my tomatoes, let's see, normally to go outside on May 15th, I start mine in early March. Why don't you drop mm -hmm. back to February and start them? Okay. And again, you realize these plants are going to grow big. They're still going to take up a lot of room inside. Mm -hmm. uh, follow the tomato growing instructions at our website. Go to youbetyourgarden.org. On the right-hand side, about halfway down, there's a box that says 500 answers to your garden questions. And read mm -hmm. things about tomato starting. The only thing you have to add is you're going to have to start feeding them a bit more and transplanting them up into bigger pots. But then when, okay. when winter finally does end, take them outside. You don't even have to plant them. You can actually mm -hmm. bury the pots in the ground because these are going to be big plastic pots. So you can just okay. dig a hole, plant them in the ground, and that way you're not going to disturb the roots. The older the plant, the more difficult it gets to transplant. But what you're mm. going to do is plant them in the pot so the roots aren't disturbed, and then that plastic is also going to keep the moisture in the plants. Oh, okay. And I would, yeah, ur yeah. I would urge you to look at the cleanest household water you have high. In other words, get gravity mm -hmm. to work for you. Bathtubs, showers, all tend to be on the second floor. Um, any sinks that are on the second floor, you run it all into one single pipe, and then that pipe comes out to a drip irrigation system. And again, as soon as uh, as soon as the water hits that pipe, it'll go right into the plants, and that way you'll extend your season. And you may not be able to grow hundred-day tomatoes, but I bet you can grow eighty-five-day mm -hmm. tomatoes with that. Because you, yeah, yeah. you want the bigger tomatoes for the bigger leaf structure. One of the issues you face at high elevation, your UV light is much more intense. It can be up to 25% more intense um, than the mm -hmm. UV light that hits my plants at ground level, uh, sea level, and that can scar them. You know, you want to keep the fruits covered. If you find that that's still going on, invest in some shade cloth. Very inexpensive. Uh -huh. You put it over hoops. You can take it off on a cloudy day. Just roll it down the sides, roll it back up. Matter of fact, you can leave it on in the morning and cover it on those really intense afternoons. But there's ways to do this without spending tens of thousands of dollars. Okay. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've tried in the past to have an umbrella situated to where it covers it by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But well, a windstorm took care of that umbrella, and it hasn't been replaced. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I do remember. I do remember it can get windy there. But when you're dealing with a hoop mm -hmm. house, you can really fix that in the ground much more strongly. And uh, the okay. hoop, the hoop house, or 
the hooping that holds the shade cloth, both will last for years and years. They're an easy investment. Okay. Just make sure because mm -hmm. of where you are, you get shade cloth that is the maximum UV resistant so the sun doesn't cook it. Okay. All right? Okay. Thank you so much. This has been an education. I appreciate well, your time. Thank the good people at uh, Cortez uh, who brought me uh, up there to give a couple of talks because I learned more about Colorado during that week we spent there than um, I ever could read in books. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I uh, wish I could have made it. That's uh, I'm on the other side of the Rockies from, from that area, so it's well, quite a trek to the uh, other side of the state from here. Well, tell your public radio station awesome. to invite me out. Oh, that's a great idea. I will certainly do that. Thank you so much. All right, good luck, Wendy. Hazen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, hello. Nice to nice to make a call over here. Uh, nice to hear from you. Now, am I getting your name correct? I have a feeling I'm getting it wrong. Hazen. Hazen. Uh, is that yeah, what... there aren't too many of us around, but yeah, it was I... my grandpa's name. Oh, really? That's great. Um, and where where is Hazen? Where are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking about my, my late grandpa. Yeah. Where is he right now? Uh, I'm in Spokane, Washington. Oh, okay, great. Always great to hear from our listeners up there. What can I do for you, sir? Okay, well, I have some acreage, and I'm just trying to put a lot of at least semi-native vegetation back, a lot of trees, treeing a field and things like that, mm -hmm. and bringing back some <clears throat> some habitat. And so I'm growing things like aspens. I've got willows, some poplars, and some cottonwoods, and I mm -hmm. really am favoring the cottonwoods. Okay. Except the thing is, is that I think they're called thatch ants. They're the they're the bigger ants with the red inner body, and they make the the ant hills. Oh, right? oh, okay. Um, okay. You're in Oklahoma. Are you sure they're not fire ants? No, they're not fire ants. They're 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 bigger. Um, we call them thatch ants, but they they make ant mounds anyway, mm -hmm. and they don't bother me. I like them, and I know that they're they clean up the place and they're predatory and things like that. But, but the one thing is, is that they, you know how they kind of, they ranch aphids. They yes. take care of the aphids and they go and tickle them and do all that. Yeah. Well, they're doing such a good job at taking care of those aphids that the aphid populations on my cottonwoods, I think it's really um, to the cottonwoods detriment. So, so they're kind of chlorotic and they're just not growing all that well. It's, and it's all sticky underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, and what, I, what you a know, number... I don't know if I should just let nature take its course or, you know, I want these trees to grow and right. I don't want to do too much damage. Let me tell our so. listeners what's going on. Um, okay. A, a number of different ant species have learned um, to herd aphids. They guard their aphids, um, protect them from other predators, and then they milk them for their, quote, sweet honeydew. And they can actually get a tree covered in aphids. Now, what size are your cottonwoods? Um, what size have they achieved? Oh, uh, they're probably like 20 feet high. Okay. 
Um, have you tried just blasting them out of the tree with sharp streams of water? No, uh-uh. But I, I don't know how. I'll, I'll try anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, if, okay. if you don't have the water pressure uh, to do it with your normal hose, consider using a pressure washer. Okay. And, and uh, studies have shown that that knocks both the aphids and the ants out of the tree, and they don't recover. It kills 95% of the aphids. Okay. Um, okay. The other thing, you could spray the trees with uh, a product called Surround, S-U-R-R-O-U-N-D, and that is a, a refined clay spray. It'll, okay. it'll turn the trees a different color, but the aphids won't be able to suck sap, and the ants will, will quickly give up on that. If, okay. And because these are mound-building ants, if you wanted to eliminate a couple of the colonies, um, there's a product called D-limoline, which is essentially just the essence of orange peels. And okay. you would wait until a bright and sunny day. That's when the workers would have brought the queen up to the very top of the hill to get warmed up. And, and you would just empty a bottle of this stuff. I believe the trade name for horticulture is called Orange Guard. And obviously it's a natural product, but it would kill the queen and get rid of that one anthill if you just want to try to lower the numbers. But uh, okay. sharp sprays of water are the cure for aphids. When they were testing uh, different insecticides to see which would be best for getting rid of aphids on roses, the control, which was just spraying them with water, worked better than any of the insecticides. Oh, good to know. Okay. Well, I'll give it a shot and then uh, just worried if, you know, like I said, sometimes I just like to let nature take its course. Do you think eventually there's a possibility that, this whole phenomenon could be killing my tree? Um, typically, aphids are a pest and, and not uh, deadly. But, you know, it, it also occurs to me that if you wanted to have some fun, go online and look for beneficial insect supplier and see what kind of a deal you can get on an insect called the green lacewing. Okay. Everybody knows that ladybug larvae eat um, aphids, but the larvae of the green lacewing eat many more aphids. The larva is this really amazing looking alligator, lobster, dragon-like creature. And, and they smell real bad, right? No. When you, when you squish them by accident. Oh, that would be, yeah. you're talking about ladybugs. I'm talking about. Give, give lacewings a try. <laughs> give, give lacewings a try. They're, they're available yeah. commercially. And their common name is the aphid lion. They're so okay. they're so voracious. Good deal. Hey, I appreciate that, Mike. Tom. All right, my pleasure. You take care and keep growing those cottonwood trees. Well, it's time for me to remind everybody that I will appear in Bristol, PA, this Wednesday, October 23rd at 7 p.m. to celebrate nature's annual gift of leaves with a talk on the proper making and utilization of compost. It's all for the Bristol Township Environmental Advisory Council and the Greenbelt Overhaul Alliance of Levittown. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to answer your compost questions and take more of your questioning phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. Just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week in which we answer many questions about composting, and the answers to that will tell you how to make great compost from your fall leaves this uh, fall, okay? That's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Charles, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. Uh, thank you for making it, Charles. Now, I'm confounded. Up on my screen here, where they generally don't give me any information, um, you have a BS in atmospheric and oceanic sciences, and you're a certified broadcast meteorologist? I am, and I, 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 I get the irony of the BS and the meteorology thing together. <laughs> I realized that when I got my class ring when I graduated, but uh, yes, that's very true. <laughs> so you're a weather guesser. I am. Okay. And it's getting harder, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. Uh, what weather do you guess, or are you all over? I'm, I'm kind of all over, but I'm currently kind of guessing the weather in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. And is that where you're calling from? That is where I'm calling from. That is such a beautiful little area. The old buildings, the downtown that's been preserved so well. And you're very close to the headwaters of the Mississippi, right? Uh, it's about maybe three, four hours north of here, but no, not that far in the grand scheme of things. It's just, a, a, but you have the locks and all that kind of stuff, right? You have we all, do. We've got the locks and the bluffs, and it's, it's very, very beautiful here. Yeah. All right. Well, you're not calling me about the weather, so what are, <laughs> uh, what are you calling about, and what can I do you for? Well, I got a question about compost. We're a little late on the leaves this year, so I figured this was a good time to call. And I want to kind of do something with not just my fall leaves, but I want to steal my neighbor's, neighbor's leaves and start using those in my garden. And I know that I can use the shredded leaves for mulch around, you know, my trees and in the garden, but I want to make compost out of it, you know, you know the way that you suggest, but I right. don't really have room for an open bin. Is it possible to make compost, leaf compost, in like a garbage can or something that's a little tidier to kind of fit the, the lawn that I have? You're the first person who ever called a garbage can tidy, Charles. That's, <laughs> well, that's, that's a first for the show, you know, and, and after 31 years, that's, that's like very impressive. Um, <laughs> have you looked at the composters you can buy, the black plastic recycled composters? Uh, I haven't, just because I wasn't sure if the size was big enough or if it, you know, how, you know, how big they would be or how small they would be, really. In addition to fall leaves that have been shredded, what do you uh, intend to compost? Um, that, really. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a compulsive coffee drinker, so throw the coffee grounds in there, uh, you know, and just let it kind of work. Okay, good, good. Uh, a combination of well-shredded fall leaves and wet coffee grounds is perhaps the ideal way to make compost. People keep trying to figure out a way to recycle all of their kitchen waste in there, and that can make a mess. But yours sounds very nice. Now, the idea, and, and what are you going to do? You're going to use a, a shotgun to blow holes in the trash can, or are you going to buy one of those burning barrels that they sell? <laughs> 
I would probably just, you know, take a drill and, you know, drill some holes in it if, if necessary. And that was part of the question, too. I wasn't sure if I needed to ventilate it or, or anything to kind of make sure that it composts correctly. Oh, yeah. You want to ventilate it and ideally, if you can, allow rain to get into it. Okay. Um, but now, do I need to drain, like, put drain holes at the bottom then? If I leave the lid open, I don't want it to, Yes, you know, yes, you cool. need... Well, now, now, see, now we're getting into one of my pet peeves because I would actually urge you, if you're handy, to remove the bottom metal, the the bottom lid, so to speak, to, okay. to get ground contact. I think ground contact is really um, just one of the most beneficial things about outdoor composting. You take that bottom off, and then your local earthworms can come and go. They're going to be attracted by that raw material. They're going to go in, they're going to eat it up, they're going to poop out their worm castings, they're going to move it around, and then when the weather gets too cold, they'll go back underground. But then again, when the weather warms up in the spring, they can come back and go to work again. So it's kind of the ideal situation. You almost have a worm bin outside, but they're earthworms and not the worms that uh, are better at just taking kitchen garbage and some bedding, and those are indoors. But yeah, I mean, if if you're committed to it, um, trying to think though, aren't those things coated with zinc and everything? The metal. The, the, uh, I was thinking about maybe trying plastic because mm-hmm. those metal ones kind of rust and get you know. Oh yeah, get they pretty do. Pretty shoddy quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the harder the plastic, the better. And and again, I would also urge you to look at the professional ones. Um, are you acquainted with your um, local state extension service? Uh, I know we have an office here uh, in La Crosse County, but I'm not. I haven't, you know, been in contact with them yet at all. Go on the web or give them a call and ask if they ever have composting classes where they either give away or sell compost bins at a subsidized rate. Um, okay because we would be talking about these big black plastic composters with locking lids uh, that are very attractive. They're already pre-ventilated and everything like that. And because they have locking lids, you could put the occasional apple core, lettuce leaf, or broccoli stalk in there. Um, okay. Two big kinds. One is rectangular, and it comes in pieces, so it folds flat. That's the one that's easiest to ship and carry around. There's another one called the Soil Safer that's a big fat boy. It's round and it only has two parts plus the lid. So it's a little ungainly, but that holds even more. Uh, they're very attractive. I have, uh, I, have, I have two of the Soil Savers and I got four of the um, rectangular bins in my backyard. And that includes several open piles that are just leaves and coffee grounds. I make I have a lot of different composters out there. So I think you've okay. con- you, you kind of got all the basics down. Try a bunch of things. And um, if you get the plastic trash cans, obviously get them as big as you can. And uh, you don't want them to be the rolling ones. That's a waste of time and money. And you want them to be as flat to the ground as possible so that when you razor off the bottom, it'll be easy access. Wonderful. I'll give it a shot. All right. Good luck, Charles. And what's it going to be like tomorrow? Uh, rainy, <laughs> as has been the case all fall. Okay. Yeah, it has been uh, an extremely wet year. Worked well for my tomatoes. Those raised beds will save your life, man. Mm-hmm. All right, Charles. Thank you so much.
All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week, which is actually three questions all about compost. Lily in Milwaukee writes, why does my compost bucket smell so putrid? I added some soil and now it smells even worse. I don't have a quote real compost bin, so I use a five gallon bucket with a tightly fitted lid. Well, this is one of the biggest rookie mistakes in the wonderful world of composting. Kitchen waste alone does not make good compost. It instead makes a stinky putrid mess. Now, if you want to recycle your kitchen waste outdoors, you need a computer. You need a computer? No, you know, this is one of the few things in life you don't need a computer. You need a composter that has a tightly locking lid to exclude a vermin. And you need the bulk of the raw ingredients in that bin to consist of well-shredded dry browns, like shredded fall leaves. And yes, the leaves must be shredded. You can also recycle your kitchen waste indoors with a worm bin. Specialized worms, known as red wigglers, that Cadillac of worms, will turn that kitchen waste into fabulous fertilizer, worm castings, in a professionally made bin with a good amount of shredded newsprint bedding covering the garbage. And yes, the newsprint must be shredded. Frank in Cherry Hill, New Jersey writes, I found a bag of organic tomato and vegetable food in my garage from last year. It has a distinct smell of ammonia. Can I still use it in the garden? If not, can I put it in my compost tumbler with lots of shredded leaves? Well, no to the garden, but yes to the composter, Frank. In the earliest days of composting, farmers were urged to add chemical fertilizers to their compost piles because people were dubious that a finished product that looked like soil could feed plants. Then came the work of Sir Albert Howard, J.I. Rodale, and the other mavericks, and people soon realized that the miracle of composting did not require chemical fertilizers. In fact, they tended to screw things up. But you have an organic product that has gone somewhat bad. Ammonia smell, by the way, equals excess nitrogen. But it still possesses useful natural fertilizers. Now, you can either mix it into a big open pile of shredded fall leaves or use your tumbler. For best results, a tumbler should be filled with raw ingredients, again, mostly shredded fall leaves, and tumbled until done, a process known as the batch method. Continually adding new material to the mix just slows the process down. And I love that you already plan to add this nitrogen-rich natural fertilizer to lots of shredded fall leaves. That's a great combination. You can even add the old organic fertilizer to an existing batch of half-done material as long as you add more shredded leaves to the mix. And finally, Pete in Wilmington, Delaware writes, I just read your book on compost. Thank you, Pete. I found it concise and very helpful. Thank you, Pete. I have a few questions, however, that I thought you might be able to answer. Question number one, why would someone not just use 100% compost as the soil in their garden? Well, when I first started out, my beds were filled with half added compost and half native soil that I had raked up to help form the beds. And that worked great. Over the years, I followed my own advice, advice? Advice, it comes out of my voice, advice, to simply add a fresh two inches of compost to my beds every spring, and that worked great. 
But over the course of decades, I found that the beds were getting, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of heavy. And that's when I entered into an intense relationship with perlite that continues to this day. Perlite, a natural mined volcanic glass that gets popped into ball-shaped structures in giant ovens, greatly improves drainage by providing little spaces throughout your soil that allow for the passage of air and water. Now, perlite's structure of little cracks and crevices also holds water during wet times and releases that moisture slowly as the soil dries out. It's the perfect amendment. Perlite is a godsend at improving drainage in areas with lots of rain, like my Pennsylvania and Petey's Delaware. But in areas with little to no rain, beds of 100% compost would be great. Petey's question number two. If the ideal CN ratio for compost is between 25 to 1 and 30 to 1, what's the ideal ratio of calcium, phosphorus, and potassium? Okay, so we're talking apples and oranges here, Petey. The CN, carbon to nitrogen ratio, that makes the best compost and makes it fastest is indeed 25 to 30 parts of dry, brown, carbonaceous material like shredded fall leaves to every single part of wet green nitrogen-rich material like spent coffee grounds or horse or poultry manure. Kitchen waste, most of which is very low in nitrogen, can be used in slightly larger amounts to compensate for its inferior nutritive content, but no more than around five parts garbage to 30 parts shredded leaves. Calcium, phosphorus, and potassium, they're nutrients that are generally applied directly via fertilizers, which are labeled with their unique ratio of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, the famed NPK scale. Although chemical companies like to describe things like 10-10-10 as balanced, they are not. There's no plant on this planet that wants equal amounts of those nutrients. The actual desirable ratio for a majority of plants is 1-3-2. That's one part nitrogen, three parts phosphorus, and two parts potassium. Because this is a ratio, that means 2-6-4 would also be great. Now... If the plant food in question also provides calcium, that's going to be listed separately. Three to five percent is ideal, especially if you're growing tomatoes. Well, that sure was some seemingly authoritative advice about creating credible compost now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read these instructions over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to cancel my compost if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please save everybody a lot of time and trouble and tell us your location 
and not the kitchen or the garden, where you live, okay? That's your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. Or did I say that already? You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Ken Peter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director used to be Amanda McGrath. She is now known as Amanda Norfleet. Either way, check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our princess of production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our camera person might be Carlin Canfield, or it might be Jeff Frederick. They look alike. But there's no mistaking when Zach the Takwisneski is in the house. If our beloved CEO Tim Fallon is in the house, he's late for a meeting. I'm your captain of compost, Mike McGrath, and I'll see you again next week. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? <gasps> Ready? <gasps> Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Is this a good time to prune overgrown plants? And what do you have to do to get actual figs from a fig tree? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss the simple rules of fall pruning and fig tree protection and take your fabulous phone calls.